Good morning. Good morning. I can tell it's getting close. Um, Lane asked how many were tired. Tired. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder if down the road and met somebody, did he say good morning? He was the only one that could make it a good morning, amen? And I, it's a good morning. I want to I share with you just something before I preach. Uh, this is my last, I uh, heard a story about an evangelist that came to the last night of a revival and he wanted some feedback from a some of the people that were out there, like I'm getting feedback now. Um, but uh, so there was a grandmother seated in the front row and her granddaughter was beside her. And he, he said, ma'am, would you stand up? And tell us how you feel about the week. She stood up. And she said, I'd just love to. She said, I'm so full. I've never been so full before. I'm just bubbling over. Hallelujah. I'm full. Praise God. And she sat down and he said, wow, thank you, ma'am. Her granddaughter was sitting right beside her, and so the preacher asked the granddaughter, would you stand up and tell us how you feel? She shook her head. She stood up and said, preacher, I had a belly full of it too. Well, I don't know if you've had a belly full of it, but um, it's been good. Thank you so much. I have really, really, really struggled with this message, mainly because it's a message that I didn't want to preach, because I had another message that was really good. And... Um, you know, occasionally when God speaks to me, <clears throat> occasionally I have the good sense to listen. Sometimes he has to hit me with a two-by-four to get me to change because I got my agenda, you understand? And uh, I was going to preach a message this morning on, about my little church. I'm not going to do that. But I want to share with you about five minutes about my little church. I... Uh, I was a pastor for 23 years, and then I was an evangelist for 16 years, and then I got a call from the district superintendent, and he wanted me to take a church, plus do evangelism, and I said, I can't. My schedule's full. And so I put him off, and long story short, I, God said, you need to do this. I'd been praying about something, and God said, that's part of the answer to your prayer. Part of it was money, I'll be honest with you. And this little church is so small, they, I live an hour away from the church. The church is so small, I, I, I get enough money from them to pay my travel. <laughs> but I love this church. I love it. Everybody in my church is, um, I don't know how to tell you, but everybody in my church has been through hell. was preaching this morning about those people that we, that are not the most loving, lovable, that's not the word he used, the people that have the, what's the word, Joe, help me, what, value, right, we don't claim them as valuable, and the world does not claim them as valuable, everybody in my church, the world, never claims I told my wife the other day, it sure would be nice to have some normal people come to our church. Whatever that is, we don't have them. We've just, they've just been rescued from hell. Are you with me? 
Um, I just want to share with you about one of my. I wrote a testimony down. I'm kind of in and out on this mic. Are we okay back there? Batteries or if you want to change batteries, I'm available. Um, I mean, the microphone's available. Um, I just want to tell you about Dexter because he's a prime example of my church. Third of my 40 people are African American. It wasn't that way when I came, but they, they are now. And uh, Dexter was the first African American to ever come to my church. It's kind of funny, when he came, all his relatives started coming. And uh, his mother-in-law started coming, and he didn't tell her that this was basically a white church. And so she walked in, and she's a very large woman. You can't miss her. Um, she walked in, and she sat on the back row. And in our church, we have a, we have a thing we call, uh, what's God done in your life this week? It, it can't be last week it, 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 because it's not present. It's not worth, if God's not doing something in your life this week, don't share it. If you, if you didn't speak up two weeks ago, tough. Now, I'll make an exception when I go home because I'm going to miss two weeks in a row. But, but Claudette came in, sat down. She was dressed to the hilt. And we had this sharing time, and she put her hand up. And I, I didn't even know her name. And so I said, yes, ma'am, stand up. She said, well, I need to tell you that I, have, um, I was kind of shocked when I came here. She said, I, listen to this carefully. She said, I thought I would come in here incognito. The whole place was rolling, and it's been rolling ever since she's been there. But let me, let me tell you about Dexter. Here's his background. He was arrested 40 times. He was in prison five times. He was shot four times. 30 years of addiction, drugs and alcohol. He was homeless, living on the streets in Athens, eating out of garbage cans for 20 years. 15 felonies. And now he preaches for me when I'm gone. The man loves Jesus more than any man I've ever met in my life. He's a much better preacher than I am. He goes and preaches at the jails. When you've had 15 felonies, you're not allowed back into jails. He preaches in jails because they beg him to come preach there. They've done a documentary on his life that the court system uses now, and they made it in our church. <laughs> he calls me regularly, and he always says before he hangs up, I love you, Pastor. That's my church. That's who's there. Alcoholics, drug addicts, anorexics. Sometimes maybe I'll, if you want me to share with you personally, I've already shared with some of you. I'd love to share the story of my church. It just, but that's not the message God's given me for this morning. And uh, I don't know why. Somebody needs to hear it, I guess. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, please, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 6. Peter's a little hard to find. It's way in the back. First Peter, 1,070. 
Smile, folks. You don't laugh at my jokes. What is... First Peter, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 6. If you're able, if you'll stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God. Five, six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that, you may li- that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all peace, God of all grace, excuse me, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. Max Licato writes wonderful books with wonderful stories that preachers use ever and ever and ever. I'm going to read to you one of Max Licato's stories. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked up, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and she picked it up. She had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. There was Chippy. Still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy. (laughs) He never knew what hit him. (laughs) I have a hard time reading this story. A few days after the trauma, a reporter who initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she said, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. (laughs) It's hard to not see why. Sucked up, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. Hmm. You ever felt that way? I know you have. I know you have. Have you ever felt like you were in the, in, 
and Peter writes here in military language. Do you, have you ever felt like you were in the middle of a war zone? And, and, and the enemy was winning and you were losing? Anybody been there but me? Maybe it's with a relationship, or maybe it's about a job, or maybe it's about physical problems, or finances, or addiction, or I don't know. But all you know is you're losing. You're losing. And you see no way out. Don't feel alone. As Christians, the Bible tells us that we're in for a struggle, we're in a war. And, and we're constantly, the enemy is constantly trying to, uh, to defeat us. And we know that. And I think maybe that's why God wants me to share this this morning, because you're going back to a war zone. Some of you are really in a big war zone. It might be in your home. It might be at school. It might be what, at your workplace. But we're leaving the holy mountain. And we're going to be in a war zone. And folks, you cannot, listen to me, you cannot bury your head in the sand. You've got to realize that we have an enemy. You just can't pretend that he doesn't exist. George Barner, of course, the pollster, did a, did a poll, and, and here's the question he's asking, or the statement he's making, and, and wants a response back. He said, Here's the statement. The devil is just a symbol of evil. 48% of born-again people in the poll, they were specified, 48% agreed with that statement. Either they agreed with it or they didn't know. So basically, 48% of born-again people are saying that the devil is just a symbol. Figure in your imagination. And I'm telling you, and you know this, he's not. He is real. And his desire, his real desire is to defeat God. But he can't do that. He knows that. And so he turns on us, God's children. If he can defeat God's children, that will hurt God if, better than if he defeated God. And so that's, his, that's what he wants to do. Verse 8, the last part of verse 8 says this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6.12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That's who he is, and that's what he's trying to do. And I think the enemy does win the battle sometimes with some people. We know that. And I think the reason he does is because he sneaks up behind us. And, and he goes from behind us. And, and he especially likes to deal with people who realize that he doesn't exist. And then they're defeated. He is real. Please don't be naive. He is real. And let's, so, let's say we, we realize that. Let's say we all agree on that. I think most of us would. What do we do? What do we do about him? The scriptures just, I'm going to go verse by verse. This is it. Verse 9. Here's what it says, he says to do. 
Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, stand firm in the faith. Let me, um, let me read you another passage um, from the book of James. James 4, 7 through 8. You can read it later. James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. That's the first thing you do is stand firm. And then he says, verse 9, resist. Not only stand, but resist. Malcolm Collins was a missionary to Africa, and he gives the advice what to do if you encounter a lion. Here's his advice. Never run. Stare him down. He may leave. If not, have your spear ready. <laughs> I like that. Now, you don't go looking for him, okay? You don't do stupid things like kids did back in my day with Ouija boards and that kind of thing, you know, and, and just get into the occult. Don't go looking for him. But when he comes, don't run from him. Stand your ground. He says, resist, resist. You see, you run from temptation, but you don't run from Satan. Uh, when I talk to kids, you know, it's always, it, it always comes out. How close can I get to this before it's too close? How, sexually especially, how, what can I do? What's, what's, what's the most I can do and, and not sin? That's not the way. You run from sin. You get, I mean, you run from temptation. You get away from it. Billy Graham's the prime example. If, if Satan could have taken anybody down in the world that was a Christian, it would be Billy Graham. But Billy Graham ran anytime, always guarded himself. We've seen evangelists just fall like dominoes sometimes, but not Billy Graham, not Billy Graham. He always made sure. There, there wasn't even an innuendo about him because he always guarded himself, ran from temptation. You run from temptation, don't run from God. Don't run from Satan even. I, um, you, know, you know the... Um, the passage in Ephesians, which, which I, I love, put on the full armor of God. You know that? I, uh, I love that. It's so true. You, I think Christians ought to read that every day. I think we should. Put on the full armor of God every day. Uh, but you put on the full armor of God, friends, before you get in a situation. Are you with me? Uh, some of us want to put the armor on after we're in the situation. Guess what? It's too late. I tell kids, you know, and I don't, I'm sure I don't use the right language these days with kids, but uh, in my day, you, you, you put on the armor of God before you get with the girl. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Before you get in the back seat, are you understand? You put on the full armor of God, okay? I, um, here's something else you probably don't know about me. I'm a beekeeper. I keep honeybees. And I love it. I love it. 
People say, do you get sting? Oh, occasionally, you know. But, but, but I, love, I love honey to start with. Every morning, Grace, I get oatmeal and honey. And I had to make sure the honey was good honey or I wasn't going to eat it. Never buy honey from a big store. Buy it from a local beekeeper. It's much better, much better. But I, I, when I first went into beekeeping, I, I, well, I didn't know anything about beekeeping. A friend of mine, another pastor, got me started in it, and then he lives a long ways away. And here I am with beehives, and I don't know what to do. They said, join a bee club. I said, well, that's great. And I looked around. There's no bee club in Franklin County, Stevens County, Hart County, Orbert County, all the counties around us. And so you know what I did? I put an ad in the paper. Anybody want to be part of a bee club? Join me at Choney's. 7 o'clock, tomorrow morning, breakfast. Five people showed up. We have 50 now. So I started a bee club. But the guy that mentors me in my beekeeping, I got all kind of mentors, but my, he's my beekeeping mentor. Um, he said, come on, we're going to go out and examine this hive. When you examine a hive, it helps you to learn what they do and blah, blah, blah. By the way, a church would operate really well if they did like bees. Everybody's got a job. Everybody does their job. Nobody complains. It's really good. I've got 80,000 employees in my company, and they never complain, and they work hard. But anyway, we're going out to examine this hive, and so I, I'm getting my gear on. You understand gear? I mean, folks, when I gear up, I gear up. I still get stung occasionally through it, but, but not often. But, you know, I put, I put the things around my, keep the bees from going up my leg, and, and then I put my jacket on. It's the best jacket that's made. And, and, you know, and I, my, my veil and, and my gloves that come all the way up to here. And I go up there, and, and Randall is putting a head, head thing on, and that's all. And a good beekeeper, that's the way they do it. And, uh, let me back up. I don't even think he put a veil on that day. He said, we're just going to look at him. It won't be any problem. I said, Randall, are you crazy? He said, no, it won't be. Well, after his fifth sting, he says, I think I need to go back and get my stuff on. I said, you're a little late, brother. And that's the way some of us are. Are you with me? You know, put on the full armor of God before the enemy attacks. Stay in the Word on a daily basis so the enemy, when he attacks, you're already in the Word. Be in prayer constantly so that you're in the Word. Before, not when. You know, this emergency service that we try to call God for. Help me, I'm in trouble. No, no, no. You, you put it on before. The scripture goes on and it talks about that you're not alone in your attacks. Um, there are other people out there. There are other people out there. Now, what I think he's saying to me here is that, folks, when you get attacked, you're not alone. And what you need to do is you need to, do, you, you need to have a covering. You need to have folks that you know that can understand what you're talking about. Don't isolate yourself. I, I get so frustrated with Christians that something happens, they don't call anybody. They isolate themselves and they just suffer alone. Why? Why? You know one of the reasons I'm tired this week? And I've seen it more this week than I have in a long time. I'm talking to more teenagers outside the tabernacle. Hours. 
And some of them, I think of one or two right now, that are isolated. They're kind of the outskirts kind of kids. You understand what I'm talking about? And, and I don't see them with anybody. And I've been keeping an eye on a couple of them, just watching. And, and I'm hooking them. And, and you've got some wonderful counselors here. And I've gotten a hold of one counselor, and I said, check this kid out. Needs help. Needs help. And they exchange phone numbers. And they'll be, that's what we need to do. When the enemy attacks, call somebody. Kind of like AA. I've been disappointed a lot with AA recently because some of the AA folks don't call the other people like they're supposed to. And that's when they go under. They fall off the wagon. I, I know the talk now. I deal with so many of them now. We, we contact each other at our church. I, mean, I got a man that's getting ready to join the church. And, and this is not a normal thing for me. I'm, I'm really picky about who joins the church. I really am. Sorry. You can come all you want to. But I got a guy that I'm getting ready. He's going to join the church in a couple of weeks. He lives in a tent in the woods. But you don't have anybody like that in your church. Most of you don't. I do. But he loves the Lord. I've, I've been dealing with him for a long time now. And he's, he's almost everybody that's homeless, almost everybody, is either on drugs or have got mental problems or both. I've learned that. This guy does not. He just, I don't know why, I can't figure it out. But he loves the Lord. Uh, but he doesn't isolate himself. He lives in a tent by himself in the woods, but he also has mentors right now in my church. And they mentor him, and they work with him, and I do. That's what we need to do with each other. We're, we're, you know, that's what John's been teaching us. Is it's important, folks. It's vitally important that we, that we are accountable to somebody. If you're not in an accountability group, shame on you. You need to be. I am. And I'm lost without accountability. I don't know where I'd be if it's left up to me. But I got folks that hold me accountable. Some of them, I don't like them to do it. But I've given them permission to do it. And so we hold each other accountable. Don't isolate yourself. We need each other. I went to school with two... Um, Two guys, one was in my class and one was two years younger. Uh, names are Paul and David Law. Their father, Burley Law, was a bush pilot in Africa, a missionary. And it, his job was to fly into all these different African countries, especially to the hospitals in those areas, and to deliver uh, uh, drugs and to deliver uh, all kind of equipment to them. That was his job. He flew into these places. And some of them were pretty dangerous to fly into. I mean, it was, it was back when the Congo was, the, he was based in the Congo, and the Congo was in an uprising. There were, there were just, there were rebels, and they were dangerous. And so they had a, they had a, a signal, and that is Burley would fly over a village, and if it was dangerous for him to land, the natives would be seated, and he'd know he shouldn't land, and he didn't. But one day he was flying over and they were seated. But he knew there were, there were vitally needed drugs they needed to treat some things. And they didn't have any left. He made a circle, came back, and he landed. And 
The rebels came out to him and killed him right there. One of the great martyrs of the faith. David and Paul went back to that same village later on and led the chief of the village to the Lord. They're missionaries now in that area. Paul, t- Paul told me a story one time about what happened. He said they lived in the area where these villagers were living, and he said that, that uh, it was a dangerous area, not only by the rebels, but, but lions. Uh, sometimes they were just got really rogue lions. He said that happened one day. There was a, there was a rogue lion, and he'd, he'd killed some of their goats and, and some of their animals and, and attacked even some of the people. And so they came to Paul, and David said, you guys, you know, we need, they're the only ones that had a gun. Had, they had two guns. He said, you, we've got to get rid of this rogue lion. He's killing animals and he's going to kill people now too. So they, they agreed. So what they did, the bush, they knew about where the lion was. And it was high, what in Georgia we would call sagebrush or, or broom sage. And, um, but it was high. It was almost to the high as they could see. And it was a dangerous place to go into because you knew there was a lion there. So what they did, they went back to back and had the natives tie them together back to back so that the lion couldn't attack from the rear because there was no rear. And they ended up killing the lion. But they were together. Our favorite phrase in my church is this. I hear it to me. I got your back, preacher. Got your back. And I say back to them, I've been dealing with a young lady for a long time. She had a terrible upbringing. Sexually abused, raped, alternate lifestyle. Uh, she knows that I've got her back. And she has been through tremendous problems. God got a hold of her, cleansed her, purified her, changed her life. She went back to school at age 40, three years in a Christian graduate school for psychotherapy, and now she has a counseling center in my office. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've told her, I got your back. I don't care what you're going through, I've got your back. And you know what she does for me? She's got my back. She's got my back. And I'm just telling you all that to say, folks, we've got to, there's, there's no way, there's no way we can not have each other's back. So when we stand firm in times of trouble, four things will be, will be accomplished. I'm going to give you four things. This is verse 10, the second part of verse 10. Says God will restore you. I love Joel two twenty five. <laughs> He'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. I've used that with this girl more times than you can ever imagine. She feels like her. She felt like her life was over. Uh, just just tragedy stuff. He is restored. He has purified her. He has made her holy. And, 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 and the church only got 40 people. The church hired her as the administrative coordinator because she's so organized. She's so, she, 
They hired her because they know they've got a pastor that has no administrative skills whatsoever. She runs the church. I just say, whatever you say. Whatever you say, Missy, I'll do it. I mentioned I had a, had a man yesterday had five bypasses. I'm not there. She said, I got your back, Pastor. We got it taken care of. Don't worry about it. That's what she does. Secondly, Scripture says, he will strength, God will strengthen us. God will strengthen us. I got a welder in my church. Don't know much about welding. I was talking to him about it one day. He's a great welder. He built some rails for my my front steps. My my wife has terrible knees. She can hardly walk. And so she has to have something to hold on to. And he built these. I said, are these things going to hold? He said, guaranteed. I said, tell me about welding. He said, you know, I put those bars in there. I said, yeah. He said, I weld that bar. There's a rail here. I weld that bar to there, weld that bar there. They may break one day of something, but those wells of mine will never break. They're stronger than the straight piece of steel. That's what God does. He strengthens us. He talks about suffering. We, have, we, we, gain, we gain strength through suffering. When you have calluses, they're stronger. They're stronger than, than, than your regular skin. They're tougher. Thirdly, he says, he will make us firm. What's that mean? It means you're not wishy-washy. Wishy-washy Christians don't make it. Do you know that? You won't make it. But he will make us firm. And lastly, he will make us steadfast. I looked up the definition of steadfast. It says, to lay a strong foundation. That means you don't base your faith on on quicksand. You, you, You base your faith on the rock who never, never, never gives up. Well, Satan is a defeated foe. He doesn't act like it, but he is. I um, heard a story about a, uh, actually I read it out of the Moody Monthly one time, a long time ago. It was a story about a man who was at a zoo one day and walking through the zoo, and he came to the lion cage, and there was one lion in the lion cage, and he was a ferocious looking lion. I mean, he had the the big mane and, and just this huge thing, and all of a sudden he saw a door open into the cage. And a man came out, a janitor came out with a broom, one of these push brooms. And he's just pushing them. And he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a whip. doesn't have a chair like in the circus. You know, he doesn't have anything except a broom. And so he's, he's sweeping up all the stuff and, and, and just getting it clean. And, and the lion's here. And he takes the broom and he pokes him. And the man said, whoa, that guy's really brave. He said the lion goes, Rawr! and the guy just pokes him again. The lion moves over. And finally the janitor got through, and he kind of was getting ready to go out the door. And the man said, let me talk to you just a minute. He said, I've never seen anything like that before. That was incredible. Is that lion tamed? No, sir. No, sir, he ain't tamed. Well, well, aren't you scared? No, sir, I ain't scared. Why aren't you scared? That lion's old. He ain't got no teeth. That's Satan. He will scare the pants off of us. But he doesn't have any teeth. He can't defeat you. Those who are in Christ cannot be defeated. You know, it's ironic, isn't it, that... Um, 
in Scripture, and especially C.S. Lewis. You know, I mentioned I love C.S. Lewis. You know, the lion, Aslan, that's God represented as the lion. You know what the Scripture says? It says that Satan acts like a lion. He's not a lion. He acts like a lion, and that's what scares us. Verse 8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I'm going to close. I want to tell you a story, and then I'll, I'll be through. It's a, it's a great story. I, I, one of your men, I think, next year is going to portray. I think you're going to have portrayals. I'm sorry I won't be able to be here. I'd like to see these portrayals, but... Um, this guy's going to portray Uncle Buddy Robinson. Now, I probably shouldn't have told you that. It's probably supposed to be a surprise, so don't tell anybody I told you, okay? Just act surprised. Uncle Buddy was one of the great camp meeting preachers of all time. He, uh, he had a lisp, and he couldn't talk hardly. And, and I was listening. He, he, he did some for me at the table the other day, what he's going to... And, and I've heard some tapes of Uncle Buddy. I mean, died a long time ago, but there's, there are some things floating around. And, and, boy, he sounds like Uncle Buddy. I can't do it, but I, I'll try. And, you know, Uncle Buddy, he'd, he'd talk like this, and he, he couldn't talk at all. And, and, and God called him to preach. And uh, his dad said, Uncle Buddy, he says, says Buddy, you, you can't preach. He said, yes, I can. God called me to preach. I'm going to preach. So he went to his pastor, and he said, God called me to preach. The pastor said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, I want to preach. Would you let me preach? The pastor said, well, I don't know, buddy. I'm not sure. Certainly not on Sunday morning. i tell you what. We don't have that many people on Sunday night. Why don't you, I'll let you preach next Sunday night. And buddy was just so excited. He had prayed. He was all excited. So he gets up to preach. <clears throat> he stands in front of this group of people. And he starts stuttering and lisping, and he can't preach. He can't get it out. He can't get it out. And he just sits down and cries. His father was very supportive. He said, buddy, I told you you can't preach. He said, now the pastor knows you can't preach. Now the whole world knows you can't preach. Buddy Robinson never was healed of his stuttering, but became one of the great camp meeting preachers in America. Here's a story I want to end with. Uncle Buddy, I, I, I can hear him saying it. It's an illustration he gives. He said, you know, when I see Satan coming around, he said, he is scary. And so what I do is I go find Jesus. You know, Jesus had those, those big white robes that he, you know, and he said, I see Satan and I jump behind Jesus and I hide behind his robe. He said, I look out, and Satan gets closer, and cl the old devil, he gets closer and closer. And just as he gets right in front of Jesus, I jump out and say, thick him, Jesus, thick him. <laughs> we can win. When you go home, you can win. It's great to have all these people around. I mean, this, this is like heaven, you know. It's just it's so cool. But you can still win. You can win when you go home. Why don't you bow in your prayer with me? And I ask you to stand. And, um, 
We've got a few minutes. I, I, I'm just going to ask you if, uh, I, I know you got two more great times with Joe, and, but maybe, maybe you're going to be leaving early, or maybe this is the day, I don't know, but maybe some of you, you know what you're getting ready to go into. You know it's going to be hard. There may be a little suffering involved. That's what Jesus says, what Paul says, Peter says it. Maybe it's on this last weekend, it's time to say, Lord, this has been wonderful. But you know what I'm getting ready to face. I know you're the great lion. I need you to pour yourself into me. I need to be so full of your Holy Spirit. And I need to put on the, the fruit of the Spirit. I need to put on the armor. I want to be strong. I can't do it on my own. I've tried it. I can't do that. It's discouraging. It's hard. But Lord, maybe I need to come this morning and say, Lord, would you please, please, Lord, give me what I need to be strong, to fight the enemy, to stand firm, not to give in. Would you, would you speak to me in a special way even this morning so that I can go home with a victorious spirit <clears throat> that when the battle comes, and it's coming, I will be strong. I will not give in. I will not be discouraged. I'll do what you've called me to do. I'm just going to invite you to come. We're not going to sing, I don't think. Uh, but let's just, just, just for a minute. Uh, you know, you... You're so good. Why don't you why don't you sing after all? Or lead us. Yeah, you got something, right? Yeah. Good good guy. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. That's good. That's good. You soldiers. You want to spend some time here before we go home? Need you to come. Invite you to come. Not suffer loss from victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Us, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls ordained. I want to sing one more verse, and I want you to look up, and I want you to hold your hands up. I know this is a foreign to some of you. Just hang in there with me. Just please me. This will be the last sight I see from this pulpit this week. All right? Let's just say, God, we're heading out. You're going to be with us all the way. One more verse. 
Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor song. To those who vanquish evil, a crown of life shall be. They with the King of glory shall reign eternally. And now the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit bless you, direct you, guide you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.